felt it, but I, w- I felt it recently when I was in Colorado. Um, we just, me, my fiance, um, son Chris, and her sister, we all went for about five or four days. Um, we had a blast. It was a fun time. Got to see beautiful mountains and all that. Um, eventually, I felt homesick just because I don't like being away from home too long. For like, for me, I have like a, and it was on Thanksgiving break too as well, so it was, it wasn't normal for me to um, be, to travel somewhere else and to just to kind of be in a different home, you know, different uh, bed or whatever, you know, and, and just um, enjoy, enjoy that. I did enjoy it for the most part. Chris, I think, got sick, like, on the third, fourth day, so he missed out some hiking. <clears throat> so he was definitely homesick. Um, but towards the end of the trip, definitely feel like I was at home anymore. Uh, I just wanted to be back, you know, at home in Temple, Texas. Um, another way that I felt that was the New York City mission trip. Raise your hand if you're going to that. Awesome. You guys, if, if you've been there before, you know just how cool it is, how dope that is. If you haven't, it's, it's really, really, really fun, really eye-opening. Um, but I went two years in a row, a couple of years ago, and I, I remember the homesick feeling that I kind of felt when I was there. And I guess what I mean by that was I remember talking to Kevin Beavers and <clears throat> he was he came to this youth group a couple of years ago, and he was just telling me about the difference between being a Christian here in the Bible Belt and then being a Christian in New York City. And in a sense, he felt kind of homesick because every time he wouldn't see as much believers there, when he would mention his faith there, he felt like people weren't as open. Not all of them, but most of them weren't. Um, and he was saying it's kind of different down here than in Belton. He, he, li- he lived in Belton at the time, but here in Central Texas, just how <clears throat> not everybody claims that that cultural, not everybody has that cultural norm here or in New York City than they do here in Central Texas. Here, everybody may not be a Christian, but a lot of us, a lot of people at our school, a lot of people that we work with, um, carry this idea around that. Um, because they go to church or because they call them, label themselves as a Christian, that's what makes them a, a believer. And he was just saying that it's completely different up in New York City. Nobody, hardly anybody does that. And people that do say that they're a Christian, usually they really mean it. Usually they're actually living it out. <clears throat> and so he was just telling me in a sense I felt kind of homesick of that. And even for me too, being in New York City, I was feeling that as well because it was just different going to the park, seeing, you know, uh, Muslims, Hindus at the park, a lot of them playing, you know, doing stuff like that. And that was just, the setting was just completely different <coughs> than it is here on, on earth. Um, <coughs> this chapter was called Never at Home in the City of, of Man. And I think the, the, the myth that this chapter really um, tells about is us as believers, us as Christians being too comfortable here um, where we're at now, here on earth, here in our country. And uh, I think Trevin Wax, this is what the book's called. Um, the title is, This is Our Time, uh, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. And he really just exposes um, the lie that as believers we have just gotten, we've gotten too, too comfortable here on earth, here in, in this country. Um, as I'm reading through this chapter, I'm thinking in my mind, like, what, in what ways have, has that happened to me? You know, I think physically, like I mentioned to you guys before, you know, going to Colorado, going to New York City, 
there's been some ways of me not really feeling at home, but that's different than what the Bible actually talks about. Trevor and Wax does a really good job at asking questions in this book. Um, <clears throat> he asks early on in the chapter, is it possible that we have felt too much at home in our country? Could it be that our feelings of disorientation are due to the fact that for too long we've accepted the prevailing myths in the society around us? Um, <clears throat> like I said, his concern in writing this book is that we are buying into the cultural myths. So that instead of living according to God's word, instead of living according to what God has said in the Bible, um, we are instead living, not living God's way and living, buying into the world's lies. Um, He then asks these questions here that basically Dave and everybody else who's who's been preaching through this book have been asking the whole time. So these are just questions I want you guys to think about, to keep in mind as I'm talking this morning, as we do our discussions um, I'm not going to answer them directly, um, but hopefully, again, it kind of gives you guys something to think about. Maybe you guys could, could be thinking about that for yourselves. What if we are living according to the myths of our culture without even questioning them? What if we are failing, falling for false stories, not because they are in our, cult, in our history books, but because they're in our everyday habits? And then the last one, if this is the case, and how can we resist these cultural myths and replace them with biblical truth. This morning we're going to dive into the large myths that animate our society. Uh, I think the first one that Dave talked about was our phone, kind of that, that our phone being so close to us, um, so personal to us. Um, you know, I think Megan talked about, you know, entertainment and things like that. Um, but again, what I want to talk about is um, myths today that are bigger than us, Myths today that we may not even have thought about. And again, I think myths today that we subconsciously have been fed, fed about and we have not been able to um, notice them. So I want to start with um, a couple of Bible verses that Jesus talks about. <clears throat> I have given you then your word and the world has hated, you, hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Okay? That le- brain is really loud, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but all, all throughout the Bible, Jesus talks about being of the world, being out of the world. Okay? I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard that before. Some of us may take that to the extreme, and we may think, okay, I'm going to be completely out of the world. I'm not going to be involved. I'm, just, you know, I'm not going to be involved in, in anything worldly. I am going to focus on my Christian life. I'm going to focus on my prayer life. I'm not going to have any friends that aren't Christian or anything like that. Some of us may go to that extreme. Some of us may go very beneath that and kind of conform to the worldly ways, kind of conform to being a, a Christian that um, isn't very heavenly minded and just kind of fall easily in the sin. <clears throat> and my charge to you guys is to have a balanced approach to that. What does that really mean when Jesus is saying, do not um, be in the world, do not be of the world, but be in the world, okay? Because all throughout my life, I heard about that. And I remember when I was once a young Christian, when I was once in high school, 
the mentality that I had with that was, okay, just be in the church, all right? Um, don't have any friends who aren't Christian. Listen to just Christian music. Don't watch any movies. That's the mentality that I was fed when I was a young Christian. That's what I thought. That's what that meant. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that's the case. <clears throat> so most of us under, understand what this means. Most of us know that Jesus has called us to live as aliens and strangers on this earth, right? Um, none of us should ever feel at home in this country. None of us should ever feel at home on this earth, okay? Um, essentially, we know that Jesus is coming soon. Essentially, we know that here on this time on earth, this is where we, we don't belong at, okay? Um, and I say that just because of our beliefs, our faith is so countercultural nowadays, okay? Um, whether it's saving sex to marriage, whether it's um, marriage between a man and a woman, whether it's us believing Jesus is the only way to heaven, all those things, the culture, all right, people who aren't Christians, they're so against, okay? The world tries to bring us down. The world tries to bring us down by having our beliefs, compromising them, twisting them. And I think nowadays, especially, a lot, of, a lot of believers have done that, or a lot of professing Christians have compromised on their beliefs. In the world that my parents and grandparents grew up in, <clears throat> to be a Christian or to belong to a church was a badge of honor, all right? a noble person in the community. Okay? And this was many, many, many years ago. Nowadays, in many places, to be a Christian no longer brings that culture influence, okay? But cultural costs. If you agree with orthodox teachings, which is just the the basics of Christianity, again, going back to um, the sacredness of marriage, um, sex, you know, sex before marriage, um, you know, um, any orthodox teaching, Jesus is the only way to God. Some of those things, you can't openly express those things without being just teared down, without people thinking you're being judgmental, without people thinking that you're being arrogant. Nowadays, it can't happen. And that's happened even before at work one time when I was openly expressing my beliefs. And a coworker of mine basically got onto me, got really upset with me just because of what I believed in. I, wasn't, I was just stating what I believed in, and someone like that got really, really upset with me. Um, and again, she automatically assumed that I was trying to shove that down other people's throats. She automatically assumed um, that I was being judgmental, hypocritical, or whatever. It was, it was outrageous. Um, but again, no longer are we open to express ourselves, okay? And it, wasn't, it hasn't always been like that, guys. It has not always been like that. <clears throat> so what has happened? We are still in a free country where a diversity of opinion it's celebrated, right? Why the change? Why this sense of disorientation? Why this confusion? You know, I've always wondered why it's in a up like this. I think there's multiple reasons. Um, but I think one reason is, is that more and more p- people believe the myth that Christianity is a personal and private matter. And I don't know if you guys ever heard that before. Christianity is a personal and private matter, right? I'm sure many of you have heard people say, well, Christianity is just true for you. Keep it to yourself. That's not absolute truth. You know, there's many ways to God or there's many ways to live a good and noble life, right? 
It's common to define religious freedom as believing whatever you want, as you do privately or in the context of your local church. Meanwhile, the public square, the sphere of politics, education, business, or other public spaces must remain off limits from your religious beliefs. Keep those to yourself. That's what I mean when I say, when people think that Christianity um, should be a personal and private matter. Um, Basically, the world tells us to check our beliefs at the door, guys. It doesn't matter if, if we're just expressing ourselves. It doesn't matter if we are just living out our convictions. Either way, people think nowadays being religious in public is a problem in our world, not a solution. Uh, New York York pastor Tim Keller says this, the number of devout people in the country is increasing as well as the number of secular people. The big change is in the erosion in the middle. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the people who claim to be a believer, um, people who have worn the cultural norm, worn that Christian label, but have not necessarily lived it out. And again, I think in the Bible Belt, we may know a lot of people who kind of carry that Christian label. You know, they say they're Christian, but you don't really know if they are. Um, But they're just kind of going along with just the Bible Belt here in Texas. Again, the cultural norm of going to church. Tim Keller's saying there's a lot of people like, there were a lot of people like that, and now those people are slowly disappearing. Those people are slowly not claiming um, that label of them being a Christian. Um, He goes on to say, there is a time, even if you didn't believe in Christianity, you wouldn't be openly hostile toward Christianity. You would show Christians respect because of the cultural clout Christianity carried, cultural influence. What is changing for the first time in history is a growing group of people who think the Bible is bad. Keller says it's dangerous, it's regressive, it's a bad cultural force. And so now we're growing up in a society, in this culture, where people think believing in the Bible, living by the Bible is bad. They think it only makes things worse. I think a lot of, obviously, especially unbelievers, are growing up with that mentality. They're growing up with that mentality that as, as Christians, we should keep our beliefs to ourselves. Our beliefs do not hold any weight, any value, not only in our own lives, but also in the public sphere of uh, education, politics, businesses, right? And guys, we all know that Christianity has, is total truth truth that is relative across everything, not just here in the church, not just in our religious experiences. And again, a lot of people, a lot of unbelievers are growing up with that that mentality, right? So when we bring these two myths together, the myth that Christianity is private with the idea that Christianity is very polarizing, very dividing, very opposing, we begin to see why many Christians don't feel at home as they used to. The longing behind that, I think we all, ex- we, we all want to be accepted and like. Right? Don't get me wrong, I think there are times when as believers, that's what we should want, right? Because obviously we're going to be a witness, we're going to be going, you know, telling people about our faith, telling them about the gospel. But the longing behind that is if we feel out of place, if we feel like we're pushed to the side because of our beliefs, um, it's because that we want to be liked. It's because that we should be liked. 
Um, I, I think something to think about, too, that if we know that true Christianity will never be popular and that the claims of Jesus are polarized in every generation, then why do we feel so disorientated when we are pushed to the side? Why do we feel that way? Right? <clears throat> I think there's an, another myth that I want to quickly just dive into. When I was reading this book, I really had no idea that um, um, a lot of people thought this way. Um, but it actually happened about 250 years ago when an idea about America got encoded into our society's DNA. Um, it's the idea that people saw America as Israel. And if you know, just throughout Old Testament, Israel, um, God's chosen people, very blessed. God uh, showed, God exposed himself to Israel in many different ways. And in many different ways, Israel rebelled against him. Um, but back in the late 1970s or ni- ni- uh, 1700s, in 1777, just months after the American colonies uh, declared independence from England, a preacher named Nicholas Street preached a message that implied Old Testament Bibles to revol- uh, Revolutionary War events. He wasn't alone. Many, many pastors did the exact same thing during that time. <coughs> Uh, his sermon, check this out, his sermon was called The American States Acting Over the Part of the Children of Israel in the Wilderness and Therapy Impeding Their Entrance into Canaan's Rest. That's what his sermon was about. Well, that's what his sermon was titled. It's really, really long. Um, but in this sermon, he gave a good glimpse of how early the Americans saw their experiment as a new country. Here are some ideas that he stressed on, guys. He would cast the American colonists suffering under the rule of English oppressors as children of Israel. He compared the leaders of the American Revolution uh, to Moses and Aaron, delivering the children of Israel from slavery. He saw Britain as an enslaving empire, similar to Egypt in the Old Testament. He would tear his congregation and be faithful, for this was their time of testing in the wilderness. Just like the children of Israel face in the OT in the Old Testament, if they obeyed, they will get a blessing. If they didn't, they would suffer defeat. Reading his sermon, you will find a deep movement portrayal of the American cause for freedom. All right? But if you consider the underlying message of it all and then multiply it by dozens and hundreds of pastors like Street, you can see how many Americans, both religious and non-religious, came to embrace the idea that their country, perhaps just as much as the church, was God's chosen people. So this was like an idea that got encoded into the people in the church back in the 1700s, even 1800s, that this idea that God had a special relationship with America, that God had special favor on America, right? Um, Think about it. I'm sure many of us have heard that, you know, USA, America is a Christian nation, um, well, obviously, our ideas, our principles have been founded on the Christian scriptures. Um, but we have failed to live up to what the Bible says. We have failed to live up to our founding principles. Obviously, no country is perfect. And this is not a knock on America. I think, to be fair, God has, has blessed us greatly. Um, and it's okay to love our country well. I'm not against any of that. Obviously not. Um, I think this country has shown uh, tremendous opportunities for everybody who has come here. 
Um, but I, I can't help this idea that a lot of us, maybe not here, but I have met Christians before who have just loved this idea and who have idolized our country over um, the church, over their relationship with God. I think the longing behind that, guys, is that we desire to see this country flourish and used by God, which it has been. It has been used tremendously. But we assume that this country, again, has this special relationship with God. We assume that God has to bless the United States of America. We assume, we still have this idea that this is a Christian nation when I think we're far from that. Right? We have a very complex history. We have tried to be a force for justice in the world, but we have often failed up to live to our founding ideals. The church is God's shining city on a hill, not the United States. The church is the, uh, the, <clears throat> the people that we could come to to find help, to find a refugee, not, um, th- not our country, not America. The gospel shines its light on this myth when we as Christians identify with the church. There we don't vote for a president. We bow before a king, right? <clears throat> and I think, again, like I was saying before, a lot of us have just grown accustomed that because we grew up hearing, you know, that America was, is a Christian nation or whatever, that we expect better from the government. We expect better from politics or whatever, right? But in reality, that's not the case. In reality, we're far, so far from that, right? Um, which, which leads me back to um, another question that I, that I, that I want to ask out loud. I mean, this goes back to our faith being a personal and private matter, right? The myth that, that goes around that whether you guys hear about it or not, that our faith should be kept to ourselves. okay? That nowhere in education, nowhere in businesses, nowhere in politics is there a spot for our faith. That's a myth that I think as believers we have accepted that. We have subconsciously accepted that. You know how? I know why? Because of Facebook and just because of other conversations that I've heard people talk about when it comes to politics, when it comes to education. We, we leave out Christian principles out of all of those. <clears throat> so the next question that, that I want to ask as we move forward is what should our political involvement be? Um, as you guys know, um, just as of late Friday, I believe, um, very unfortunate school shooting in, in, in Texas here by the Houston area. Um, so unfortunate. Every time I hear that happening, I'm always praying, asking God, as a believer, as Christians, what can we do? What can the church do? You know, I, I feel like these shootings just keep happening, just almost like it's back-to-back or whatever. <clears throat> uh, a reporter was interviewing a girl, and she, ba- and she said, you know, I kind of expected to happen here eventually. I, I don't know if there's an exact solution to all of that. And I'm only mentioning it because as soon as a shooting happens, I feel like it's just the same process over and over again. We say our prayers. We argue about gun laws. Everything's fine, and another school shooting happens. I didn't bring any of that up, guys, to, to tell you my stance on, on that. I do know one thing, though. I do know that both sides offer solutions. 
you know, whether you're for gun laws or whether, whether, whether you're for a gun-free zone or, or whatever, no matter what the case is, we all have one thing in common. All right, we are, we're both trying to find a solution to stop this from happening. Either the government is to blame or the government is our only hope. And I feel like a lot of Christians have adopted that idea um, when it comes to faith and politics. <clears throat> Again, realize this is a very touchy subject, so obviously I'm not going to give you what, to, what party to stick to or what my stance is and all that. No, of course not. I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to offer you guys just a different way to see this, a, a different solution to, to approach this as believers. Because as time goes on, I'm seeing more and more Christians leave out their Christian principles and continue to argue and belittle one another, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's in person at my workplace. It happens every, it's always happening after every single shooting or every single time um, a big decision is made in the White House or whatever. <coughs> if you go, go back to the next slide real quick. For more and more Americans, politics has become a religion, right? It's Peggy Noonan, she's a... Um, uh, she's an Arthur. People find their meaning in it. They define themselves by their stands. Um, Newton's right. Our country is faith-filled. It's just our faith is misplaced and false hope. Way too often, it's directed towards government and politics, and not on God. And so, you guys heard Dave talk about this idea that everyone has faith, whether you're a Christian or not. There's so many things we put our faith in, and Dave, we've meant, we talked about plenty where we put our faith in our idols in our life, we put our faith in our phones. Something that I don't think we've ta- uh, talked on a whole lot is we've put our faith in politics, our parties, the president, I don't know. Um, when politics become a religion, then simple disagreements become apostates, heresies, and you know what we do with heretics. All around us, people who believe this myth that politics is the only real place where you could affect change or transform the world. As Christians, we've accepted it. Again, I think we accepted it because for the most part, either we run away from it, we have nothing to do with it at all, or again, we continue to argue, belittle one another when we do talk about these things. We're not having honest discussion. We're not listening to one another. I think the longing behind this is, again, we want a solution. And some of us are really tied down to what our stance is on some of these things. We are aware that the Bible isn't exactly black and white on some of these things. And I'm aware of that. I'm completely aware of that. Um, But at the same time, I think as believers, we have to be above approach when we're talking about these things. If you are a Christian, I know... um, you know, Chris, he's a freshman at Temple High, and he's told me before there have been discussions about some of these things that his teacher brings up in the classroom. Um, and so I know it's talked about even, even in the schools with you guys. So we're back to the question of what should our political involvement be? If you see America as Israel, if you, if you think that the U.S. should be blessed by God, if you think that the um, U.S., um, it's favored by God, then I think your stance might be that, you know, whatever goes on in politics or government, you're going to think that uh, it was a betrayal to the Christian heritage here. You'll feel the need to uh, take back America for Christ, 
as if the United States was always a Christian nation with a special relationship and calling from God, if you see America that way. On the other hand, if you don't really care about politics much, you will feel the need to pull back from public life and focusing on strength, on uh, developing your relationship with God or Christian institutions, which is not entirely a bad thing. And when I was your age, you know, um, again, I had this mentality that anything that wasn't Christian, I didn't touch. And so I think for me at the time, it was good. But now as I look back, look back at it, um, for me, it wasn't very healthy. So I'm not knocking you if, if you're just kind of that person who doesn't really care about it. Um, I do think as believers, since the faith that we hold, being a Christian, and we do have a truth that is not just true for us as becoming Christians and God saving us from our sin, that is, that is truth that we've all, hopefully we've all experienced before. But I, I do want to mention, I do want to add that there's also a truth to that that is able to spread into the realm of education, into the realm of everyday life, into the realm of politics, into the realm of businesses and things like that. Um, Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer, I think, said this amazing quote. I can never say his last name. Um, Christianity is not a series of truths in the plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just about religious things. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality and the intellectual holding of, to- of that total truth and then living in light of that truth. That's, that's a mouthful. Um, <clears throat> many pastors, I'm sure, have preached multiple sermons on that. Um, but Christianity, again, is not just truth, guys, for our own religious experience. We must learn how to use this truth that we have in the Bible across all spectrums of life. And I feel like, especially in the realm of politics, in the realm of our workplace, A lot of unbelievers expect us to keep that to ourselves because they think none of that has a place in the world, in the real world, all right? And that's a lie. That's a myth that's been fed to us. That's a myth that a lot of us have been intimidated by. Politics is a distraction. Some say we need to change hearts, not law. I say we need to change both. You don't wait for the abortion doctor to change his heart before you protect the unborn, You don't wait for the racist to change his heart before you outlaw discrimination. No, we work for justice because the gospel we preach is not only about personal salvation, but also about Christ's lordship over the world. Okay, it it has to go beyond that, guys. It has to go beyond it. Is there an answer, is there a clear-cut answer to politics? No, of course not. But I do want to encourage you guys, like I mentioned before, is do not, and I've always been told this too as well, um, I actually talked to Dave about it, is never become consumed with a political party. Never become consumed with a person in office. Okay? I'm, I'm just saying that just in general because always leave room for criticisms for that party. And I think that's, that's, that's what we've been heard at as believers this past, you know, whenever election came around, even now, you know, my brother, who's an atheist, was like, man, I see so many Christians arguing about this at my workplace, at online, you know. Um, I, he would just say stuff along the line of, man, I thought, I thought you guys knew better. I didn't know you guys were so, much, so into politics. I didn't know you guys were so into your, public, you know, your, your political parties, 
You know, those are the things that, that my brother, who's an atheist, would tell me. Um, so it was very surprising to hear stuff like that. Again, in his view, he just sees that if you claim the label Christian, then you're a Christian, right? And so whether, again, I don't know if those people really were Christians or not. That's not for me to decide. But in general, that's the idea that he gets about us when we talk about faith and politics. Our faith stays at the door, and we end up looking like the world, like secular people, arguing and belittling one another. <clears throat> Listen, disagree respectfully. Pray and ask God what biblical principles does your stance hold. Um, and I want to leave you guys with an example um, in, uh, in 1 Peter. Because um, I see that being done in, in, in Peter's letter to the early church. The Christians he's writing to are at the margins of society, left out, falsely accused, persecuted. Some of them are in jail, facing imprisonment, um, badly martyred. The government was well, well, well alive back then, and they were cracking down on religious expression. And, of course, Christians were the prime targets. Um, so here his, in his letter, Peter is tasked of writing a letter of encouragement. And, uh, to these Christians who are in need to hear some kind of encouragement. They need to hear what to do when they're in this cultural war around them. They want to know how to respond to all these laws and policies probably. Um, look what Peter said. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Same idea shows up earlier in the letter as well. Peter encourages them in their struggle through suffering by saying, in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, through it is tested by fire and may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He then later says in the same chapter, live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. In other words, Peter is encouraging them, fear God, not man. Imagine his audience, guys, ready to receive what Peter has to say. They are assuming because of the cultural tension they live in, the cultural war that they're surrounded by, that Peter is going to give them practical advice on how to retaliate back and how to get involved in these policies or whatever. Um... I mean, if there's any concern to these readers, it was about the war, the physical war waging against them, right? Again, persecution. Um, they were being shut off. They were being martyred, martyred for their faith. Instead, Peter f- focuses on the inside of what they can't see. He basically says, I'm less concerned about what the unbelievers would do to your body than I am what sin would do to your soul. Uh, I love it how Peter flips this expectation here. Um, we should be more concerned about the war within us than any cultural war. Not, not to say, guys, that real issue, these real-life issues don't press upon us, don't demand our attention. I'm not saying that. I, I do think as believers that we should be involved somehow. We should be aware of what's going on around us. Okay, I do want to press that upon you guys because I do think there is a balance there that we should keep. Um, There is a conduct that we should keep, that we should show the world that we do care about the laws around us, the policies around us, and things like that. I just think that uh, far too often we've become consumed with those. 
And again, not every political policy deserves our attention, right? Um, but it, I think it's real simple. And Peter reminds them what would happen if, for Christians who want to try to win a culture war, Christians who want to try to win an argument, Christians who want to try to win a political debate, that they could lose their souls, that they can lose their witness. Uh, Trevor Wax puts it like this. I think this quote's up here too as well. Our focus on human flourishing and the common good is of little value if, while we focus on morality in the world, we fail to pursue holiness in our own hearts. Fighting for your rights in society is pointless if you are not fighting for righteousness in your own heart. And then 1 Peter 1.15 says, the next slide, but he who called you and is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak against, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay. That doesn't matter how hard we believe our view is right. It doesn't matter what we think necessarily about gun laws if that is getting in the way of our witness to believers to our unbelieving friends guys a lot of i think some of us need to stop being so consumed in in what our view is and, and pay more attention to the holiness in our own hearts to pay more attention to our relationship with god that we're developing through all this chaos even our holiness and conduct should not be personal or private. That should be expressed to the world. That should be expressed to the world in multiple ways through the way that we're living out, through the way that we're engaging other people. <clears throat> holiness is not supposed to be cloaked in the chambers of our piteous hearts, says theologian Vince Bacotti, but displayed in the public domains of home, school, culture, and politics. It's not about winning an argument. But winning people, holiness and honor go together. And one of the ways we'll stand out is God's faithful people in our generation is the way we engage people in our neighborhoods and online. The way we love each other, guys. Greatest commandment that Jesus has given us, the way we love each other. What we see through the myths our society tells us about political engagement. While our future generations say we offer Christianity salt and light to the world, we need Philippians 3.20, I love, this, I love this verse. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20. <clears throat> we are not of this world. This world is not our home. And far too often, I think we have grown too comfortable in allowing the culture around us to dictate how we should be, display our faith, how we should share our faith, guys. I want to read you guys one last quote from, from the book. Um, and I think having this, having this in mind, what Trevor Wax talks about, will help us discern um, the myths of this world and what, what it tries to feed us. The only way you will be able to withstand the hatred of the world is if you are immersed in the love of God. The only way you will be able to live without the approval of others is if you are assured of God's approval of you in Christ. The only way you can stand against the world when everyone is jeering you is when you know God is there, cheering you on, calling you his beloved child. Unless we are overcome by the love of God, we will be overcome by the fear of man.
And I remember when, when I first um, became a Christian, um, all throughout my life, I had this idea that God loved me. I had this idea that I thought I was a Christian. It wasn't until I became a Christian that that idea hit me, and it was no longer a vague feeling. It was no longer a vague idea to me, but I felt um, that relentless love that God had for me. And that is something that I try to continue to to remind myself of, to immerse myself in, um, in the love of God and in his approval of me. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I've been perfect at that. But I do know once I, I become an expert, the more and the more I become an expert at doing that, the easier it gets when it comes to living out my faith, when it comes to exposing the lies, the myths, the culture tries to feed us, guys. Um, Jesus Christ coming down and die for us is the greatest love that, that has ever happened. And uh, my prayer is that for you guys in the church, and here is the church, we can um, do a better job and, and prayfully ask God to show us what ways we can engage the culture around us. No longer should our faith be a private and personal matter. Okay? That is a myth from the pits of hell. That is a myth that our generation is slowly, slowly um, feeding into. And if you guys aren't careful, if we aren't careful, we'll be slowly to accept that myth into our own lives. So I want to close this out in prayer, and um, I have a couple, about four or three discussion questions for you guys. Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the word that um, gives us encouragement um, during these um, heavy times in, in the world today, Father God, in a, in a time where political tension is, is very high and a lot of policies or or laws that are happening may not be as black and white as they are in the Bible, Father. I pray that um, we could keep just um, biblical principles in mind. We can pray often when we have a stance, a view on um, what something should be, Lord. And a brother in Christ, sister in Christ disagrees with us, or an unbeliever disagrees with us, Lord. Um, show us what it means to be above approach. Show us what it means to have our holiness and conduct together. We're talking about these things. Um, when it comes to our faith being a personal and private matter, Lord, that um, the world tries to shove down our throats, Father God. We, we all know that the Bible says to go out, preach the gospel. Um, and uh, I think far too often, Lord, we have um, accepted that myth that uh, only that can happen inside the church or only that can happen you know, to close people that we know, Father. Um, <clears throat> I pray, Father God, that uh, our Christianity can, can be total truth, not just for our religious experiences, but our experiences that are outside of the world, Father God. Um, I want to lift up the um, Smith family, Lord, a family that went to TBC, that um, their son that they lost early, um, this past week, Lord. Pray that you'll comfort the families, be with them, O oh God. Uh, Let them know that the church is here for them and that your love has not left them or you have not forgotten about them, Lord. I want to lift up the the shooting on Friday. And I I pray that as believers, we can continue to mourn and and pray for the families. 
And I also pray for the church, Father, and, and what our involvement can be in all this, Lord. Um, talk to us, speak to us, Father God, and what the church should be doing to engage more of the public world around us on, on um, this ish, these issues going on, Father. Um, lastly, Lord, I pray for Gary and just um, his checkup in England. And I just pray, Lord, that, uh, you know, we are awaiting to hear just uh, the cancer to be gone, Lord. Um, but even if it doesn't, we will continue to pray and trust in you. And we know that you work all things out for the good of those who love you, Lord. So um, thank you, Father. We love you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, God.